You're listening to All Things Video, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. This episode is brought to you by Epidemic Sound, the company reimagining music licensing for the digital age. Epidemic's library contains tens of thousands of tracks that you can license a la carte or on a subscription basis. Unlike other music licensing companies, Epidemic Sound owns its entire catalog and makes tracks available via one straightforward license to cover all your needs, worldwide and in perpetuity. No more headaches around usage reporting, performance royalties, or murky rights ownership. It's better for the artists and better for you, the creator. So whatever your music needs, Epidemic Sound has got you covered. You're listening to All Things Video. I'm your host, James Creech, and today's guest is Awesomeness TV Chief Digital Officer Kelly Day. Kelly, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks. Thanks for being here. So we're going to start things off a bit differently than my normal podcast today. Uh, Uh, Kelly, when someone outside of our industry, someone with no background or understanding of online video, asks you what you do, what do you say? It's a tough question because it does happen a lot where, you know, friends and family and stuff will ask what I do. And especially with a title like Chief Digital Officer, which is, you know, a little bit nebulous even for people in the industry. Most of the time, what I say is that I I work for a great company that produces uh, film and television and short form video, and that my main job is to help figure out how to build and grow the company and our revenue opportunities and expand our business around the world. It's an exciting kind of role, but one that is not very clearly defined. And I guess that gives you an opportunity to play a part in defining that role. So what are some of the things that you focused on during your time here at Awesomeness? Yeah, I mean, I was really lucky when I came into the company. It was still relatively early. You know, there were only about maybe 70 or 80 people at the time. And, you know, when Brian and Brett brought me to Awesomeness, there was really a, an opportunity to kind of carve out what I wanted to do and sort of where I wanted to spend my time. And they were very flexible in creating a role that was sort of well-suited to my skills and my interests. You know, the things that I've focused on in the last two years since I've been here, certainly building and growing our distribution. And what that really means is on any given day, it could be a lot of different things. So some of the biggest, more exciting things that I've worked on are things like expanding our business internationally. So, you know, setting up offices in Europe and in Latin America, developing partnerships with people like Endemol to create production companies in other markets. It's given me the opportunity to travel to lots of different places and meet lots of different people. And, you know, most importantly, really tangibly, like build a footprint for awesomeness and our brand and what we're trying to create. So that's been really cool. Certainly things like the partnership that we announced with Go90 last year that has been tremendously successful for us and for Verizon has been really fun to work on. And, you know, it was it was a great deal to work on, but it's been even more fun to sort of see the content go up and how the audiences respond to it has been really exciting. We've launched a whole feature film business since I've got here. And, you know, I think definitely one of the most memorable moments in the last couple of years was December 12th of 2014, which was the day that we released our first movie onto iTunes and just literally sitting there and refreshing iTunes and watching the movie move up the charts until it hit number one. And then, you know, celebrating like, ah, we hit number one. 
was, you know, it was really exciting. So, you know, those have definitely been some of the highlights of the last couple of years and sort of where I've been able to make a really tangible impact. But it's also, you know, we've built and grown an amazing technology team and are thinking about like how to really use technology as a distribution platform. So we're getting ready to launch our Apple TV app in the next couple of weeks. We've launched on, you know, pretty much all of the big OTT devices and game consoles in the last two years. And Jen Robinson, who joined us from Big Frame, you know, watching her grow in the CTO role that we put her into last year has been really, really rewarding. And, you know, we have such a fantastic engineering team now. And that's been really fun really great experience for me. A lot of successes. Yeah. How did you initially meet Brian and Brett? I met them while I was running Blip. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I ran this online video company called Blip for a couple of years. And I was actually introduced to Brett by John Miller, who is an advisor in the space as a partner with Sherry Redstone at Advanced Capital and, you know, formerly the CEO of AOL. So uh, John was on the board of Blip and uh, was in an advisory role, and he had introduced me to Brett. And I, I came in here really to talk to Brett about doing a, a partnership between Blip and Awesomeness. And we just kind of hit it off right away. I guess similar backgrounds, similar personalities, but we really hit it off pretty quickly. You know, we had been having some conversations about doing some things between Blip and Awesomeness. Unfortunately, before we had a chance to do that, Blip was acquired and taken in a different direction. But then after I had sold Blip, uh, Brett and Brian re-approached me and said, hey, you know, we're building the executive team at Awesomeness, and we'd like to see if you want to come on board. Seems like that timing worked out. Yeah, it was, you know, very serendipitous. And, you know, I'm a big believer that things happen, you know, at the right time in your life for different reasons. And, it was definitely, you know, right company, right time. It was pretty much exactly what I was looking for. Brett and Brian like to tease me because the first time they offered me the job, I actually turned it down. Why is that? Not because I didn't <laughs> want to come to Awesomeness. I, I really wanted to come to Awesomeness. But, you know, we had been living on the East Coast and just weren't quite sure if we wanted to move to LA. And so I had to make a decision and, and I said no, but it was one of those things where I couldn't get it out of my head. I, I turned it down and I just kept thinking about it and thinking about it. And about two months later, I reached back out and said, hey, are you still interested in me? <laughs> and I was very lucky that they said yes, absolutely. And, <laughs> and it was know, worth the, the move. And the rest is history. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So let's talk a little bit more about your time at Blip. You uh, were tapped to, to lead the company after a few of its executives had left around 2012. So you left Discovery and took charge of Blip and what many would, would kind of call a turnaround situation. Tell us a little bit more about that experience. Yeah, I mean, I would say my experience running Blip was certainly one of the most impactful experiences in my career. So I had you know, I had been at Discovery for about seven years, and which is a wonderful company, and I had a great experience there and had spent a lot of time while I was at Discovery in the online video space, you know, looking at acquisitions like Revision 3 and building our online video business on YouTube and, and things like that. So I was really excited about the space to begin with. A recruiter had reached out to me, the 
company was backed by Bain Capital and Canaan Partners, so fantastic investors who had taken the company to a certain point. But at the time, the original founding team, most of them had moved on to other things. And, you know, I think that they saw an opportunity to really build and grow a platform that could allow creators who were on YouTube or, you know, other other platforms like that to build their brands and distribute their content off of YouTube. So I was excited by the opportunity. I was excited by the space. I loved the investors. And I was really interested in the challenge of running a venture-backed startup, you know, to see if, if I could do it. I think that we, both myself and the board, um, perhaps underestimated a little bit what some of the challenges were. I mean, we did have a lot of successes in the two years that I was there and, you know, were able to make some really great progress. But uh, unfortunately, the the company was just a little bit undercapitalized and there were some changes on um, the investor side of things. And so in the end, we had a, a good offer from Maker to go be part of Maker Studios and decided that there was a better opportunity for Blip to build and grow what we were trying to do within Maker than to try and do it on our own. But yeah, I mean, you know, running any venture-backed startup, no matter what, is a really hard job. And I do think that, at least in the U.S. in particular, we kind of glamorize startup life. I completely agree. I think that the successes out of Silicon Valley you know, like Facebook and Snapchat, well, Snapchat's in LA, but Facebook and Snapchat and, you know, these big platforms that, you know, have amassed massive valuations has sort of, you know, led to this idea that, you know, it's sort of like the next American dream, build your own company, get some investors to come in and start it. And, you know, out comes a billion dollar exit, you know, and I'll be the first to say I was probably as enticed by that idea as anybody, but running a startup is incredibly hard, no matter what, you know, it's a constant balance between trying to run the business and managing cash flow and fundraising and bringing on investors. And so when you're in a situation where you're trying to essentially turn around an underperforming startup, uh, and bring in new money and bring in a new team and kind of pivot the business model a little bit. It was definitely a, a daunting experience, an incredible learning experience. I can't even count all the things I learned <laughs> in the, the two years while I was doing that. But I would say that certainly didn't deter my love of like building and growing companies, right? And that's probably, you know, one of the main reasons why after I left Flip, I came to awesomeness because, you know, the idea of building and growing a brand and a company in the online video space, in the media business where, you know, I've worked for the last 20 years, it's kind of a bug that I can't get rid of, I think. I completely agree. There's a huge survivorship bias in working in startups. And so we definitely glamorize what we see as the successes sure. and don't hear about the failures. Yeah, you're going through it right oh, now. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've been there and I'm, I'm like you, I'm hooked on the adrenaline rush. Yeah. I can't imagine doing anything else. Yeah. It is it's like the highest exciting. highs and the lowest lows. Absolutely. You know? We find our way through it. I mean, your track record of success is tremendous. Selling Blip to Maker. A lot of other really successful people came into the team and have had good careers at Maker or yeah. elsewhere since Blip. And then in the two years now, since you've been at awesomeness. You've had investments from Verizon, from Hearst, 
and now lots of other exciting news with the Comcast partnership. So tell us a little bit more about what led to that success in the two years that you've now been in Awesomeness. I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that we've sort of fundamentally operated a little bit differently from other people in the space. So, you know, one of the things that really attracted me to awesomeness, because, you know, I I was quite familiar with the MCN business. And, you know, I'll be the first to say that the business of aggregating channels and audiences on YouTube and trying to, you know, monetize them for a, you know, 10 or 20% split is not a really attractive business. I mean, even at scale, it's not a very attractive business. The thing that really interested me about what Brian and Brett built at Awesomeness is that from day one, it was about building a brand, right? So probably one of the hardest things you can do in any industry, in any business is to build a brand, right? And in particular, I think in online media, it's so noisy. It's so crowded. It's such a disaggregated environment that trying to break through all that noise and build a brand is, you know, it's like a once in a million kind of thing. And Brian really did it. You know, I mean, awesomeness broke through pretty quickly as a brand for teens, for young, young girls, young women. And that was really exciting. The idea of building and growing a brand. But I think the second half of it is how or why he was able to do that. And I think it was really a focus on creating really great, really compelling content for this audience. You know, studios and traditional media companies, for the most part, have pretty much abandoned audiences between the ages of 10 and 25, right? Most traditional television networks and movie studios and things like that are focused on either 25 plus, because those are the people who haven't cut the cord, who still spend money to go to movies and to buy movies, and they'll spend money on kids, Mm -hmm. right? Because parents will spend time and money putting their kids in front of the television. But basically, between about 10 and 25, most media companies simply don't invest in that audience. They say they're unmonetizable. They say they don't watch. They don't tune in. They don't go. They don't participate. And I think, you know, Brian thought, you know, bullshit kind of day one. Like, yes, they do. You're just not giving them anything interesting to engage with. And so the focus from the beginning was about creating a lot of really great content that really speaks to audiences, you know, in that demo. That was really exciting. But, you know, kind of like back to why the company has grown so much and why the investment, I think that other people saw that what we were doing was really unique, that we were successfully building a brand and building an audience first on YouTube, but then on other social platforms, on other OTT platforms and SVOD services. So, you know, we had success early on uh, selling some of our movies and now some of our TV series to Netflix. We announced a development deal with Hulu. We very early in the company, you know, actually launched a show on Nickelodeon and, you know, got a great rating doing a a big show on Nickelodeon. They saw the movie business launch and our ability to get kids to go to iTunes and and go into the theater and, and watch our movies. And so I think there was a realization that, okay, maybe this audience doesn't monetize and doesn't transact the way that old media used to, 
but that they are an engaged consumer and that we were really one of the only companies in the space successfully talking to them and had built something pretty real and pretty meaningful. And so, you know, I think as our audience has grown over the last two years, as our distribution has grown over the last two years, and then, you know, since then we've launched DreamWorks TV and built one of the biggest kids channels on YouTube. We launched Awestruck and are now building a new brand for millennial moms on YouTube and, and Facebook and other platforms. I think there was a, a realization that like some folks who had come before us, like Vice or BuzzFeed or, you know, that there was a chance to build a real brand and a real media business for female audiences, primarily, you know, younger female audiences. The interest kept on coming. We've also been fortunate enough to have a lot of interest in the company and really be able to be strategic about the partners that we bring in. You know, DreamWorks was an amazing partner from the beginning. It was really, you know, a lot of people have horror stories about, you know, traditional media companies buying startups and stuff. But honestly, DreamWorks has been tremendously supportive and helpful and brought real value to us in the last couple of years, while not inhibiting or, you know, sort of impeding our ability to kind of independently grow the company. So they were a great partner early on. Jeffrey is a huge fan of awesomeness and has personally, you know, done a lot to help build and grow relationships for us in the space. So that was great. And then having Hearst come in later and sort of the partnership with 17 made a lot of sense there. And, you know, Hearst has this incredible heritage, both on the consumer side, you know, with building, you know, consumer businesses for the last hundred years and all that marketing expertise um, and kind of CRM expertise. And then, you know, just their their early investments in people like ESPN, any, you know, things like that. And just the perspective that they had on things has been incredibly valuable to us. And then, you know, later, of course, they also invested in, in Vice and others. And then, you know, more recently with, with Verizon, we obviously believe in mobile as a platform tremendously. If you look at where our audience, you know, mostly teen girls spend their time, almost 80% of our audience is on mobile. It's hard not to buy into the, when you see that kind of data, sure. you know, it's pretty hard not to buy into the fact that online video is moving to mobile. And, and a lot of the monetization opportunities are now on mobile platforms, things like Go90 and Watchable yeah, and others. Exactly. So. So, you know, having Verizon as a partner as we start to think about um, building out audience and building out our content for mobile platforms made a ton of sense. And now, you know, with the Comcast acquisitions, super early, you know, so we'll see where it goes. But obviously, you know, Comcast and NBC Universal create a whole other new set of opportunities that uh, could be really interesting for us down the road. I like the fact that you mentioned Vice and BuzzFeed as comparable models. Most people would probably think of Awesomeness TV in the same breath as Maker Studios and Fullscreen. But I want to talk about the different models in the space because you're right, Awesomeness has always been very different. I think early on it pursued a hub channel approach where in many ways the Awesomeness TV channel was the largest in the network. And it was about getting talent to create content for that channel 
in addition to their own individual channels, which was a strategy that you know Machinima had pursued earlier on and created a very successful channel, but ultimately mm-hmm. moved away from. So tell us a little bit more about that approach, because it's also the blueprint you've used for your international expansion with the yep. Animal Partnership. Yeah, it was the approach. And I think absolutely it's been the right approach. You know, the MCN for us has always been a great platform for talent. So it's been a great way for us to meet talent, work with talent, develop uh, talent as brands, right? And so, you know, it's funny, a lot of people, I think, have the perception that the talent having their own YouTube channel, for example, and awesomeness having its own YouTube channel are somehow competitive. And I've heard people say that it's perplexing. It's like, no, they're really not competitive at all. They're actually completely symbiotic, right? Because through our MCN, we try very hard to be a really supportive partner to the talent and help them build and grow their brand. So like someone like Meg DeAngelis, for example, who has you know been part of uh, awesomeness in our network for several years now, since she was, you know, almost unknown on you. I mean, she had maybe a couple hundred thousand subscribers when we met her. She now has over 4 million, right? So she's had a really meteoric rise over the last two years. But as she's been building and growing her channel and, you know, we try and help her with production, we help her, you know, we're now uh, work with her in the management company with Big Frame, have tried to, you know, bring her opportunities to really grow as an actress, as a creator, At the same time, while we've been helping her build that brand, she's been kind of growing with us, right? And, you know, she was in Royal Crush. She was in Dance Camp, our movie that we just did for YouTube Red earlier this year. You know, she's been basically creating content with us on the Awesomeness channel, you know, since the very beginning for, you know, several years now. And you can see where they've grown together. You know, and it is a very symbiotic relationship. And so as awesomeness has gotten bigger, it's obviously allowed us to bring her bigger and bigger opportunities. So, you know, she went from creating makeup tutorial videos to now starring in movies. So um, it speaks to the power of the awesomeness. Yeah, it, it kind of, yeah it, it actually, I mean, we think that that they really go very hand in hand. Mm -hmm. Gen X Pen, you know, same thing. You know, she's been making content for our Awesomeness channel from the beginning, Lauren Elizabeth. I mean, the list goes on and on of talent that we've worked with where we have consistently really tried to help them build and grow their careers and build and grow their brands. And I think we believe that it benefits all of us to just, you know, basically invest in growing the talent in the ecosystem. No, it makes sense. And it seems like that has paid dividends for awesomeness and thinking of itself all along as a a group that's focused on building a brand identity, creating a fan club model, essentially with the creators that you work with and discovering new talent to position them for things down the future. Whereas others have pursued strategies around maybe building a brand services group or trying to do global distribution in other ways or building IP to a less extent a brand, but building properties that they can do some interesting things with. So, yeah, I mean, look, there's not really a one size fits all in this space. No. Right? And, it, you know, we've always been a big believer that there's absolutely room for like lots of companies to be successful in this totally. space. You know, we, we try and, maintain very friendly relationships with all of the other people that we quote unquote compete with. 
because, you know, there is room for a lot of winners. It's a big market. It's a big audience for sure. And, you know, we have our specific audience that we kind of focus on companies like, you know, Machinima, for example, where they're focused much more on, you know, sort of a, a fanboy and sort of, you know, fan culture audience, uh, completely different and, you know, complementary, I guess, to, to what we do. And what are you most excited about these days in terms of what the future holds for awesomeness? Well, I mean, I, I'm obviously spending a huge amount of my time internationally. I mean, I'm excited about a lot of things. I love the feature film business. We have a couple of movies that are in, you know, post-production and, you know, we're having conversations in, in the market about that have just just turned out so incredibly well. I can't wait for audiences to see them. I think Matt Kaplan has done a fantastic job building the awesomeness films business. But, you know, for me personally, the international piece of our business is definitely one of the more exciting ones. If you look at the YouTube data, I mean, we've had the benefit of having built and grown this brand on YouTube. And so because of that, you know, A, we do have audiences already all around the world. We have, you know, reached these audiences and built our brand outside the U.S. without, frankly, really putting a lot of investment into it. It's just kind of happened very organically. You know, we can look at the data on YouTube, see the audience, see what they're watching, see the, the talent that they're engaged with. It is very different from market to market. Some shows, you know, and some talent resonate very differently in different parts of the world. And so the idea that we were able to do that completely organically with no investment, if you think about, okay, if we just started to put a little bit of investment, you know, like start to reach out to talent in these markets, start to invest in localized content really focus on building our social media presence and building the brand, what the opportunity could be to like truly build a global brand. I think it's like, it's so exciting. I can't sleep at night. Um, (laughs) Now I could use a few less hours on the airplane, but I think it's an incredible opportunity and it's, it's one that, you know, I think is going to keep me busy for quite a few years. Very fun. And so far, Awesomeness has started with very developed, for the most part, Western European markets, UK, France, Spain, Germany, also Brazil, which of course is pretty developed as from, yeah, from Latin America. So I can see there's clear monetization opportunities there, pre-existing distribution and opportunities to work with advertisers. What about emerging markets? What are you keeping your eye on and maybe brick or uh, yeah i mean it, it it's interesting you know our choice to go in some of the established markets some of it had to do with you know monetization opportunities but but frankly that wasn't really the first thought the first thought was just looking at where do we already have a pretty decent audience mm-hmm. and a pretty big brand you know the uk is our second biggest market outside of the us and so Obviously, focusing on the UK as a market made a ton of sense. Brazil is our third largest market. Canada is our fourth largest market. So we we kind of focused on where do we already have a natural affinity with the audience. Now, that said, you know, certainly some of the emerging markets are very, very interesting. Some of them are a little bit challenging to go into. China is a market that we've had quite a number of conversations and and talked to a lot of people. We're really learning the landscape there and who the companies are and kind of how they're operating. India is a very interesting market, particularly with the movie business in, in India and, you know, just how big the creative community is in India. So that's really an interesting market to be explored. Um, We're also kind of looking at some market hubs, meaning, you know, 
say, for example, media companies in Turkey, well, they broadcast into Eastern Europe and into the Middle East and things like that. So, you know, we're looking at markets like Turkey. I think outside of Western Europe, though, to be honest with you, Latin America is probably one of the most interesting and exciting markets. You know, we made an investment in Me Too earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Um, what prompted that? I have strong belief that, A, the U.S. Hispanic market is an incredibly uh, valuable audience. We've seen it even in our own Awesomeness channel. That, Absolutely. Uh, the Hispanic audience is uh, very strong. An interest in developing Spanish language content. We, you know, like the guys at Me Too a lot, think that they are on the right path to build something kind of similar to what, what we're doing at Awesomeness and wanted to, you know, leverage our resources to try and help them build and grow that. But, you know, if, if you look at, at Latin America, it's an interesting market because, A, uh, it's already pretty huge in terms of digital audience penetration. You know, YouTube is huge in Brazil in particular. But at the same time, it's one of the few markets where pay TV is actually still growing in a lot of territories. So even the more traditional business of licensing content to television and stuff, um, there's actually still room to grow there. Mobile penetration is incredibly high. Smartphone penetration is incredibly high. So, you know, I would say outside of Western Europe, the next biggest market that we're most interested in is Latin America. But certainly, you know, we'll be opportunistic with, you know, things that come up in Asia and Africa and other continents like that. Continuing to build that global brand. Exactly. Very good. And so I would imagine in Brazil, most of the content, are you doing Portuguese language content or English? Yeah, no, we're doing, uh, we are doing Portuguese content. We actually, the YouTube, the awesomeness YouTube channel in Brazil was one of the last ones. So we have our partnership with Endemol in Brazil. That was one of the last YouTube channels to launch out of the five that we launched this year with Endemol. It launched actually at the beginning of April. So it's only been up for month maybe mm-hmm. i looked last week and we had already passed eighty-five thousand subscribers wow. in like four weeks so it just sort of shows like the appetite for the audience in brazil in particular and you know we we think some of the same opportunities exist in mexico and argentina and and some other countries so, very cool yeah it's really really exciting really cool let's switch gears a bit and we'll do some rapid fire questions ah Yikes. Some fun stuff. All right. What is the best piece of advice someone's ever given you? <laughs> Read the room. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like there's a story here. I will never, I'll never, no, I'm, I had a great mentor and a boss, a guy that I worked for at AOL and then again at Discovery. And I give him a lot of credit for the early part of my career because he was one of the first people to really be honest with me about, you know, what I was good at and what I wasn't so good at. And I will distinctly remember him like pulling me into his office after a meeting and saying, you have to learn to read the room. You have to learn to like be aware of the, I was probably, I don't know, I was probably like 28 or something at the time, but you know, he was like, you have to do a better job of watching what other people are doing and how they're reacting and kind of catering your message and your body language and stuff to how the room is responding it was honestly, I think, one of the best pieces of career advice. Like, you don't think about it that much, but it was definitely one of the best pieces of career advice I was given at a young age. Sure. And that is tough to master, right? I mean, it's something it is hard. that it's you, really hard. It's you so can hard. hear, but you are always so working hard. on it. Yeah. Yes. You know, it's been like, you know, I don't know, over 15 years since, since then, and it's mm-hmm. still hard for me. What books have you read recently that you couldn't put down? I read a lot of young adult novels, partially because I like them, partially because... 
obviously that's the business that we're in. So I just read Before I Fall, which is a New York Times bestselling novel by a woman named Lauren Oliver. And we adapted the book for a movie. And so the movie is, is going to be released here very soon. So that was the last book that I read about maybe three weeks ago. Or That's something. exciting. And are you, in, it was great. are you pretty involved in the studio, awesomeness studio business? Yeah. I mean, I distribute all of the films. Right. And so Matt Kaplan, who runs our film division and I work really closely together. He's a great guy and a, and a great friend. And oh, fun. like I said, I, I think he's building a really fantastic studio. I think I really believe that the next divergence or hunger games or whatever, you know, could definitely come out of awesomeness. And I think Matt could do it. That's amazing. Yeah. What's coming next in our industry? As you look at the digital media landscape, do you have a few predictions that you can share? I mean, you know, predictions are almost impossible, but I would say definitely the areas that we're focused on are, you know, clearly building and growing the awesomeness brand on other social platforms in particular. So being able to master content production and audience development and things like that on Snapchat and Instagram and other platforms is definitely a, a huge area of focus. I think it's, it's, there's a, a lot been written about Facebook and, and what's happened with the rise of online video on Facebook. And that's been well covered. And certainly it is very interesting. It's not very surprising. It seemed kind of inevitable that they would get around to it at some point. What has been the most surprising, though, for us, for me, has been the fact that, you know, to be honest, three or four years ago, there really was an abandonment of teenagers on Facebook. I mean, they were not there. And when we would talk to even our talent here at Awesomeness and say, what about Facebook? There was a lot of, my mom is on Facebook, you know. I feel like that's still the case. It's still the case, but it's changed a lot. Mm. It is surprising at how much it's changed. Because of you video? You can tell because um, I think video has had a bit to do with it because what you see now is that a lot of our younger creators are interested in creating video for Facebook. You can still build an audience very fast on Facebook, right? And so, you know, for a lot of the talent, they kind of live and, buy, live and die by the numbers, right? How many subscribers do I have? How many views do I have, Right. And I think the combination of being able to grow subscribers really fast or likes on Facebook and the fact that the three-second videos and the videos in the feed create mass viewership very quickly and the view numbers get very, very big, I think is very attractive to a lot of young creators. And so we're seeing creators who two years ago wouldn't have given Facebook the time of day now really investing in building and growing content on Facebook. And when that happens, the audience, they go. We've definitely seen a change of heart with Facebook. And I think that's been probably one of the most impressive kind of turnaround stories um, in the last couple of years. An interesting corollary to that is the fact that brands seem to have figured out Facebook very early, right? Mm -hmm. Brands had a mad rush to Facebook and Twitter at kind of the dawn of social in a big way. Because it was a way that they felt they could have a new channel to reach consumers. For sure. It took them forever to figure out YouTube. I mean, yes. <laughs> so, so why do you think that happened? In some ways, the barrier to entry with Facebook, particularly with brands, is a little bit easier, right? So even before they were creating videos for Facebook, it was pretty easy for brands to post photos, to you know, post status updates, to you know, like other things to, you know, it was an easy conversation platform, I think, for brands to engage with. Same with Twitter. I mean, Twitter is pretty user friendly. YouTube is a little bit hard. I mean, 
there are millions of creators on YouTube, so it's not that hard. But there is a little bit of a barrier to entry there because you have to create, so. yeah, you have to create a somewhat professionally produced video at this point. I mean, the, the days of, you know, just shooting something on your phone and uploading it are, you know, farther and farther between like, you know, YouTube really isn't that very much anymore. And creating branded series that will really find an audience in such a noisy environment like YouTube is incredibly hard for brands. I do think along those lines, though, as predictions go, we certainly see brands continuing to invest more and more heavily in content and not just sponsoring content anymore, but really wanting to get into the creation of content, get into the ownership of content, and really thinking about content truly as a marketing engine. Probably the best example of that is this show that we did called Project MC Squared. It was a show that we created for Netflix. It actually just got nominated for an Emmy Award, which is really exciting. Congratulations. Um, Yes, thanks. We're super excited about it. But you know, yes, it was nominated for an Emmy. It's a fantastic show. Netflix has already picked it up for 13 more episodes. um, So they'll be releasing those probably towards the end of this year. But the secret is that it was a show that we made with MGA, which is a really large toy company who is creating a whole line of dolls. Mm -hmm. That is probably one of the best examples of, you know, it's a very high concept. It's a pretty expensive investment. But in the end, it turned out not to be because, you know, there's a fantastic show on Netflix. It just got nominated for an Emmy Award. And the cost, you know, to produce that show relative to what a toy company usually spends marketing a whole new doll line is, you know, relatively efficient. But yes, at the end of the day, it was essentially a piece of branded content. That's amazing. That's so interesting. Well, I mean, a lot of people would argue that in many ways, feature films today are branded content. They're uh, an ad for the consumer products business. A car, for a cell phone, you know, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. So I definitely think as predictions go, brands getting more and more invested in content as a marketing engine seems like kind of a no-brainer. I agree. I mean, my take on the whole why brands figured out Facebook, Twitter before YouTube is one, YouTube is harder to understand. It's a search platform. It is social. It's video distribution. But is it promotional? Is it monetizable? How do you leverage that? And then also the fact that a lot of brands weren't creating content in the way that they are today. There's We've seen a big shift in brands thinking of themselves as media companies. Of course, big examples like Red Bull and GoPro, but even folks like Marriott and Mercedes who have created in-house content studios and are working with partners like Awesomeness or looking for others to help them produce content and reach those, those audience. Yeah, for sure. And if you were starting a business in the online video space today, what would you do? That's an interesting question. There's a lot of very successful businesses in the online video space already. It does seem one of the things that is a little bit interesting. I wouldn't actually start it because I'm very happy doing what I'm doing, but it, it's a little surprising to me that no one has started Uh, an online video business geared towards older audiences, just given, you know, if you look at like Facebook, for example, and how many baby boomers and stuff are spending all their time on platforms like Facebook, it's a little surprising that no one has created something to really talk to that audience. Generally speaking, the market kind of taps out about age 40. Like pretty much everyone in the online video space is not really creating anything for anyone over 40, which is a little bit funny considering 
you know, sort of the demographic makeup of the population. And, and the so fact that we're aging up to everyone reach is, those Yeah, you know, so I think I don't know that I'm personally ready to take on that right now. I'm pretty having a pretty good time focusing <laughs> on teenage girls. But um, maybe you'll inspire some of our listeners. But I it is a little surprising that no one's done it. Hmm, that's really interesting. I haven't heard that before. Well, Kelly, where can people find out more about you and more about Awesomeness TV? Well, Awesomeness, you can find, you know, first and foremost, youtube.com slash Awesomeness TV or YouTube slash DreamWorks TV, YouTube slash Awestruck. That is definitely a great home for a lot of our brands. You can find a lot of our shows on Netflix or on Go90, of course, the app from Verizon. Me personally, pretty easy to find on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. There we go. Uh, you got to keep up with yeah, all the creators. Yeah. Snapchat, although I have to admit, I've not really mastered Snapchat, mm. but I am. It's Kelly Day pretty much everywhere. So. Very good. We'll look out for you there. Thanks. Well, thank you so much. This was incredibly fun and very illuminating into your background and all the really cool things cooking up here at Awesomeness. Thank you. Fun. Good. Thank Thanks, you. James. Thanks for tuning in. I'm James Creech, and this has been another edition of All Things Video. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes. See you next time. Bye.